The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. What are emotions for? There is a view that emotions, especially negative emotions, are for ignoring. Forget about it. Feelings don't matter. There's also a view that that emotions, negative emotions, are the more accurate truth, that the mm-hmm. ultimate truth is emotional, particularly when it's a negative emotion. I don't think that's right. I think that emotions are for thinking. Emotions give us signals to think. When we think about our emotions, we do better. Welcome back to the Next Big Idea Daily. I'm Michael Kovnett, and my guest this week is Daniel Pink, Next Big Idea Club curator and author of the book, The Power of Regret, How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward. Yesterday, Dan helped convince us that regret is universal. Even if you'd rather not think about it, even if your life feels perfect just the way it is, there are things you wish you'd done differently. Why is Dan so sure that everyone has regrets? Because they're deeply embedded in the architecture of our brains. Regret is an evolutionary adaptation. It's the core of how we learn. And if we can figure out how to use our regrets, not to obsess on them, but also not to pretend they don't exist, we can unlock remarkable growth. Regret makes us feel worse, but it can make us do better. Indeed, the way it makes us do better is by making us feel worse. A half century of research shows that dealing with our regrets properly, not ignoring them, but not wallowing in them either, delivers at least three benefits. First, it can sharpen our decision-making. In one study, negotiators fared better on subsequent interactions if they lead in to a previous negotiation regret. Reflecting on prior regrets can help us avoid cognitive biases like escalation of commitment to a failing course of action. Second, regret can elevate our performance on a range of tasks. People who regret their performance on problem-solving tasks do better on their next attempts to solve problems. Even hearing about other people's regrets can change our thinking for the better. People who heard a story about a woman who narrowly missed out winning a trip to Hawaii earned a full 10 points higher on the LSAT, the law school admission test. Third, Regret can strengthen our sense of meaning and connectedness. People who thought counterfactually about pivotal moments in their life experience greater meaning than people who thought explicitly about the meaning of those events. Likewise, when people consider counterfactual alternatives to life events, they experience higher levels of religious feeling and a deeper sense of purpose than when they simply recount the facts of those events. In short, regret can make us better, by improving our decisions, boosting our performance on problem-solving tasks, and deepening our sense of meaning. You say regret can make us better in several ways. It helps with decision-making. It helps with our performance on a range of tasks and and that it can strengthen our sense of meaning and connectedness. So let's break that apart a little bit. I mean, how, how does looking at our regret in this way that you recommend actually help us make better decisions? So I'll give you an example about this. So there's some research from the London Business School where people are in decision-making settings in a laboratory. You have all these participants make a decision. Then you divide the number of participants in half, and half are assigned to do this. 
you give them instruction on, say, certain cognitive biases. Mm-hmm. Here's what co- confirmation bias is. Did you do that and do you regret it? All right. Half of them. So mm-hmm. you're essentially inviting, you're eliciting this negative emotion. You're not mm-hmm. saying no regrets. You're saying essentially, yes, please regrets. What happens the next time they make a decision? They're less likely to make that cognitive bias. So when it comes to cognitive biases, when we make decisions, reflect on what we did wrong, whether we had any cognitive biases, we're less likely to commit those cognitive biases later. Okay, Mm -hmm. so we're not saying no regrets, we're actually inviting it. Uh, Some brilliant research in negotiation, all right? Mm -hmm. So once again, you put people into a negotiation setting, they come out of the negotiation setting, the researchers say, what do you regret doing or not doing in that negotiation? So you're, again, you're inviting this thing that we want to avoid. Those folks do better in the next negotiation. Problem solving, all right? Put people into a problem solving setting. They come out. Here's your score. What do you regret doing or not doing in that problem solving setting? You invite the, the, the regret. They do better on the next one. And so what, we're doing, what we're doing here is we are, we are finding that third way that you and I talked about mm-hmm. between ignoring and wallowing. So we're not saying, oh my God, I didn't make the appropriate first offer. I'm a terrible negotiator. I'm a worthless human being. I shouldn't be allowed to do anything. Mm-hmm. That's a really <laughs> bad idea, okay? That mm-hmm. kind of regret is is harmful. Mm. But what's also harmful in, its, in, a, in a less um, dramatic way is when someone says, ah, no regrets. I did it perfectly. Yeah, it's I fine. Yeah, I, it's I wouldn't fine. change anything. It's fine. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. whatever, whatever. Uh, yeah. That's a that's a really bad idea because you don't learn. What we want to do, and this is actually pretty, this is actually pretty fundamental here, is what we want to do is, it, it, and I think it goes even more deeply into how we human beings mm-hmm. deal with negative emotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, and how we even deal with like what are emotions for. Mm-hmm. What are emotions for? There is a view that emotions, especially negative emotions, are for ignoring. Forget about it. Feelings don't matter. There's also a view that that emotions, negative emotions, are the more accurate truth, that the mm-hmm. ultimate truth is emotional, particularly when it's a negative emotion. I don't think that's right. I think that emotions are for thinking. Emotions give us signals to think that we, when we think about our emotions— we do better. And we have this one emotion, regret, which is arguably the most prominent negative emotion we have. And so we have to think about it. Mm-hmm. We have to not, again, here's the thing. Think of it, let's let's go for a metaphor. You get a knock at the door. Mm-hmm. You can just say, I don't hear anything. <laughs> or you can dive under the couch in terror. <laughs> or you can say, oh, there's someone at the door. Let's see who it is and what right. they have to tell me. And that's by far the best approach. So we know it in negotiation. Mm-hmm. We know it in um, in problem solving. We know it actually enhances as we reflect on, it helps us actually achieve greater meaning. There's mm-hmm. very good research, interesting research among executives in, in also in decision-making roles that exe- executives who lean into their regrets rather than sort mm-hmm. of skirt them end up becoming better strategists. So we have a pile of research showing us that done right, and that's the key, Right. That we can enlist this emotion, this negative emotion, as a positive force. I, I think the challenge is that no one has ever taught us how to do that. I mean, I know neither of us are trained as cognitive scientists necessarily, but I think you're suggesting that regret and similar negative emotions are kind of deeply woven into how humans learn. That part of the process of growth and learning is 
learning from the past, learning from negative experiences, but you can only learn if you experience it, if you absorb it and, and take its lesson. I mean, if, if I'm making any kind of decision and I haven't properly absorbed the bad decisions I've made in the past, I'm likely to make another bad decision because I haven't learned my lesson. Absolutely. Again, why do we have emotions of any kind? Mm -hmm. Because they are adaptive. Right. Let's, take a, let's take an emotion like fear. Fear is a negative emotion. I don't like fear. I don't like being scared. So, hey, I got an idea. Let's give people a pill. And if they take the pill every day, they'll never experience fear again. There'll be a lot of uh, dead people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, fear can be maladaptive if it goes too far. Right. But it's adaptive. I want to be able to experience fear. If my house is on fire, I want, I want to be scared shitless so I run out the door. We have a portfolio of emotions, just like we might have an investment portfolio. Now, one of the cardinal principles of any investment portfolio is diversification. Mm -hmm. You don't want to have only Bitcoin in your portfolio. Mm -hmm. And so in our emotional portfolio, we want to have a lot of positive emotions. We want to have, we want to allocate more space to positive emotions mm -hmm. than anything else. Joy, awe, gratitude. Those are fantastic. They make our lives worth living. But we don't want to have only. We want to have a little mm. diversification because those negative emotions are functional, they're adaptive, and they remind us of the positive emotions, just as in the way that grief reminds us about love. Okay. So I think I understand your first couple of points here that Regret can help with our decision-making and it can help with our performance in general because it's tied into learning and how we, how we improve. Your third point, I'm struggling a little bit more to understand this idea that regret can strengthen our sense of meaning and connectedness. How can my regret help me be find find a sense of meaning? I'll give you I'll give you uh, I'll give you uh, uh, an anecdote. Okay, so we have research behind this, but let me give let me give you an anecdote. So there's somebody I write about. Her name is Abby Abby Henderson. She's in Phoenix. She's um, at the time I interviewed her, which is now a couple of years ago. She was 29, and she had a regret when she was a kid. Her grandparents came from Indiana and stayed with her for a couple of months every year in Arizona. And as a kid, Abby hated it. She thought they were Budinskis. She didn't want it. She thought they were like taking up space in the house. She didn't want to talk to them. All right. And then a few years ago, her grandparents died. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, 20 something Abby said, Oh my God, I totally regret that I acted that way. I totally regret that I didn't hear their stories. I knew nothing about their lives. And I'm realizing that I really blew it. Okay. Now, what can she do? She can ignore it. Eh, no regrets. She can wallow in it. I'm the worst grandchild there ever was. Or she mm -hmm. can say, wow, wait a second. This is a knock at the door. This emotion, this negative feeling is telling me something. What it's telling me is that I value connection and meaning mm -hmm. among the people who are in my life. So therefore, Abby decided, did not want to make have that same regret with her own parents. And so she started doing something where she began recording her father's stories. Mm -hmm. systematically hearing mm -hmm. her father's stories, recording her father's stories. So she would have a sense of meaning and connection with him that she lacked with her grandparents. I think in this chapter where you're talking about how regret can make us better, you talk about counterfactuals. And I think if I understand the point, sort of you, you give an example of saying, you know, 
if I hadn't married my wife, X, Y, and Z, and playing out this sort of this alternative history that you might have experienced. And by doing that, come to, you know, really appreciate and and maybe um, feel more gratitude towards the path that your life has taken. Am I, am I thinking of that right? Is that how, how do the sure. counterfactuals work with with regret in your? Well, I mean, kind of, I mean, regret is, regret is built entirely on counterfactual thinking. Mm-hmm. That is what we're talking about before. Our brains can 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 imagine a, a set of facts that run counter to what actually happened. To oversimplify just a bit, there are two broad types of counterfactuals. There's what are called upward counterfactuals and downward counterfactuals. A downward counterfactual is that if I, ima- I imagine something, I imagine how things could have turned out worse. Classic example of this is why bronze medalists are surprisingly in the Olympics are surprisingly happy. <laughs> They're happier than silver medalists mm-hmm. uh, in general, if you look at their facial expressions, because the bronze medalists say, ah, oh, at least I didn't get fourth place and was out of the medals altogether, mm-hmm. right? The, the, the downward counterfactual, I imagine how things could have turned out worse. Those make us feel better. Upward counterfactuals are, we imagine how things could have turned out better. If only I had pedaled a little harder, I'd be a gold medalist rather than a silver medalist. Mm-hmm. Upward counterfactuals make us feel worse. But if we treat them right, they make us do better. And so counterfactual thinking mm-hmm. is at the core of regret. Now, mm-hmm. what you're talking about here is something, a very interesting um, technique. I think what you're talking about in, in part of your question is a very mm-hmm. t- interesting technique, which is which is the, the mental subtraction of, of positive events. So mm-hmm. here's what you do. So I'll give you an example because I do this in my own life. I think about um, my life right now. Mm-hmm. And I think, okay, it's all right. It's all right. Uh, it's, it could be better, I guess. Okay, so I'm sort of maybe indifferent about my life, all right? Then, mm-hmm. I, then, I, then what I do is I go back to the past, counterfactual, and I run a counterfactual like, uh, imagine if I had never met my wife. Mm-hmm. And I think about my life if I had never met Jessica, and I am so fucking grateful <laughs> for my life right now. You know what I mean? Like, I can only imagine the gutter I'd be living in yeah. if I had not, you know what I mean? If I had not, if I had not met, I, I had not met her. And so yeah. the, the subtraction of positive events in the past allow us to fashion counterfactuals that make us grateful for our present. And that's a very, that's a very healthy kind of technique for certain, to sort of uh, reassess your life, uh, to, to stoke a sense of gratitude, yeah. uh, to actually trigger some of these positive emotions when your portfolio feels very, very low on those positive emotions. So that's it for today. Before joining us tomorrow, take some time to think of the counterfactuals in your own life. What if you hadn't met that person or taken that job or had that child? You might find that regret and gratitude are actually partners and can be used together to deepen your appreciation of your life. Tomorrow, Dan will be back to share what his research reveals about the four types of regret and how knowing what you regret teaches you what you value. By the way, I mentioned that Dan is one of the curators of the Next Big Idea Club. Let me take a moment to tell you what that actually means. It means that Dan, along with co-curators Malcolm Gladwell, Susan Cain, and Adam Graham, they pick through the thousands of nonfiction books that come out every year and send you a selection of their favorites. Well-researched, engaging books that just might make your life better. If you want to find out more, go to nextbigideaclub.com. And if you want to sign up, use the discount code DAILY to get 10% off. Okay, I'll see you tomorrow.